Well, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I, uh, I have some props. It's not a hatchet or an axe, I should say, since we are studying the book of Acts. It's this lovely lamp, and I'd like to just put that out front and center. You see, it has this very ugly, gaudy extension cord, and I would like that to be quite prominent as well, um, just because it's hideous looking, um, but it's the illustration. Uh, the lamp is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he was here on earth, the beautiful thing that he showed us is he showed us the connection with the Father through the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit, if you will. And he showed us how to live life, uh, walking with the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, obedient to the Spirit. There was one time where Jesus said, I'm not sharing the words that I thought of myself. I only speak what I hear the Father saying to me through the Spirit. And so Jesus was connected. Well, then he was, and this is where the metaphor kind of falls apart because the light should stay on. He was resurrected and went up into heaven. And he uh, sent the Holy Spirit that day of Pentecost and came to us. Now, again, the metaphor breaks down a little bit because I would love to have this extension cord not be plugged in back here, but go right up through the ceiling up into heaven to better illustrate where the source of this power comes from. It comes from God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony. And it's power that's for us. But what I like about this illustration or this metaphor is that it's singular. There is only one power source for us as believers, the Holy Spirit, just one power source. And so we plug into it, and it energizes us, and it allows us to shine the light of Christ where we are. Well, speaking of light, this is me, and uh, not too sophisticated, not too bright either, and uh <clears throat> This, as you notice, is I was created for conducting power. There's no power inside of me. Um, I'm just here to allow power to flow through. Don't have any power of myself necessarily. I was created. I find my purpose. I enjoy my life most when I am plugged in, right? Well, the problem was is that I was lost, um, I was a sinner, still am, lost, and I really didn't know about what I was created for, and I didn't know how to plug in. And then the Lord Jesus in his mercy opened my eyes and led me in a path of repentance such that I could be connected to his Holy Spirit and being technically challenged, plug in, and we have light, a little bit of light that emits. It's what we were created for. It's created to stay in that relationship. Created to walk, listening carefully, just like the Lord Jesus did. Following how we're being led by the Holy Spirit in every activity, in every day of our life. Now, you're wondering, how do I get unconnected? 
Well, that's pretty simple. Now, one thing to notice, though, is there's grace that's coming, grace coming from God the Father to help me to stay connected. But getting unconnected is pretty easy. It's as simple as saying, you know, I just want to do what I want to do. I just want to act the way I want to act. I I just want to be the boss, really, of my own life. And then I'm unconnected. And I have kind of shut off the Holy Spirit and said, no, I'm going to do it myself. Thanks. Thanks. Now, how do I get back reconnected? It's as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I. And I don't even finish the sentence. I don't even have to finish the sentence. And he runs to me and he reconnects me and he leads me in how to be forgiven for the sin that is in my life that I don't really even understand very well. He knows me better than I know myself and leads me in a process of restoration to stay plugged in to the Holy Spirit. Now what I love about our passage today is that we are looking at new experiencers with the Holy Spirit. And they have their greatest victory, their first great victory. A man gets healed. He's over 40. Peter takes him, lifts him up off his feet. The guy lands on his feet. His ankles are healed. He starts screaming, Yahoo! Hanging on to Peter and John. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. It's unbelievable. Great commotion in the temple. People come running. Peter starts preaching to those people and he winds up being arrested by the religious authorities because we don't want you talking about Jesus. So the next day he stands before the religious authorities and he gives testimony basically. And their judgment upon him is, listen, no more talking about the name of Jesus. Stop it. If you talk about the name of Jesus, we can't guarantee there won't be severe consequences for you. Now, the implication there, of course, is what did they do to Jesus? Well, they murdered him. And for Peter and John, Christ's followers, the same could happen. So here's their first great victory and the great first pushback, telling them, no more. Don't talk about it. Now, They could have unplugged, they could have slinked away, they could have said, you know, okay, I'm done with this Jesus stuff, it's too dangerous. But instead what they modeled for us is how to stay connected to the Holy Spirit and to press on in the face of tremendous difficulties, threats, threats that were meant to discourage and dishearten them. And instead they do something else. And so let's read about it. If you'll look at your Bibles with me, we're on page 773. And we're going to pick it up at verse 23 in Acts chapter 4. Verse 23, Acts chapter 4, page 773 in the brown Bibles that are under your chair. On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they, the gathered, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, 
They said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they prayed. And the place where they were, they were meeting was shaken. Boom! And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone has had need. Three big ideas for us to look at. We looked at prayer, kept them plugged in, witness to the felt needs of people, kept them plugged in, and then last, the love for each other, kept them plugged into the Holy Spirit. Those are the three big ideas I'd like us to look at. Let's start with prayer. They come back and they pray together. What's amazing to me is that they pray. Prayer is their source of power in the Holy Spirit. And they do it together because they're mightier praying together. Now, I don't want to make an idol of prayer. It's not prayer that is powerful. It's the one that we pray to who's powerful to work through us. So they prayed together. And what they used is that time-tested tradition of praying Scripture. That was their source of knowing what to pray. Now, many times people will say to me, I, I, I don't know what to pray. This is a wonderful passage to take and make your own and pray back to the Lord God. It's a wonderful passage. And in fact, that's what they're doing in this very text. The apostles are praying a passage they got from David, from Psalm 146. David got that passage influenced from Exodus chapter 20 from Moses. So here it is, each following generation looking back to the spiritual victories of the preceding generations and wanting to pray according to how those people were blessed using the scriptures, using it as a way to empower their prayer. 
to inform them in how to pray. So it's a, it's a, a, a great uh, uh, illustration or example for us. Next, they looked at the greatness of God's sovereignty as they prayed. Even though Jesus had been arrested, had been crucified, they saw in that God's hand that he was sovereign. Notice the posture that they are taking now, the gospel posture. Four times in this particular passage, they use the term servants. The Lord Jesus was a servant. King David was your servant, O God. And we, we, we who pray, the apostles and the gathered believers, we're your servants as well. And so here's their posture looking at God as sovereign over those circumstances and sovereign over them being like servants. Now, many of us have been following uh, the story of Sally. She's this young Chadian woman who was uh, born a Muslim, raised as a young uh, Muslim woman. And by what she saw in those who followed Jesus, their testimony she decided that she was going to leave Islam and become a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, that has consequences. Because someone who leaves the the Muslim faith, it's a great shame to them. And it's not only a shame to them, it's a shame to their family. And so the family needs to do everything it can to get her to disavow Christ and to come back to Islam. And so she has been beaten. She has been in imprisonment in her own house. She has been uh, kept, food has been kept away from her. She's had the religious Muslim religious authorities say to her basically what our apostles heard themselves. You will stop speaking in this name. But because of God's sovereignty, because he's Lord of all, because she's uh, a, a worshiper of him, she wants to stay centered under him instead of listening to these who are threatening her. So she honors them, speaks to them in an honorable manner, but she also tells them, I cannot do what you asked me to do. I must follow and serve Jesus because he is sovereign. He is Lord of all. I honor you, but I can't do what you're asking me to do. Sally understands God's sovereignty. These apostles understood God's sovereignty, and they prayed and acted under that sovereignty. We notice also then that they have a big ask. Can we see that slide, Steve? The ask that they have. I broke it out a little bit. They have three things that they're asking. Consider, Lord God, their threats. Enable us to speak with great boldness. And stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. Would you do that for us, God? Now, what I love about this is that first consider is, Lord, you're over the whole universe. You're doing great things. But would you consider our little problem right here? Please, would you come? And he does. Listening, engaged with the small little detail and the great. And then they say, enable us. Help us to speak your word. And then stretch out your hand. Do great things so that we can tell people what they're seeing, that we can speak boldly about it for them. And then as we talked about, the last thing is the place was shaken, shaken with power. Now I want to ask you, 
if Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came, is this a second Pentecost? What are we seeing in this? And I think it's more of like what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, if we could see that slide, Steve, where he says, don't get drunk on wine, that leads to big problems. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so what we're seeing here is we're seeing the gathered be filled with the Spirit so that they can accomplish God's purposes in their, their daily engagement with other people. Now, I had a pastor or a friend of mine tell me what that looks like for him, and I've practiced um, myself. I call, he called it, my pastor friend called it, spiritual breathing. It's breathing out, Lord, forgive me for my sin, and then breathing in, Holy Spirit, fill me to do the things that you want me to accomplish today. Give me your words. Give me your thoughts. Give me your actions. So you see, in all these different things, they stay plugged in through prayer. They stay plugged in through praying together. They stay plugged in by praying the scriptures. They stay plugged in by being under God's sovereignty. They stay plugged in by asking, and they stay plugged in by spiritual breathing. They stay filled with the Spirit so they can do their significant work that God has for them in their particular area there. That's our first big idea of staying plugged in. Second, I'd like to jump to verse 33. Notice their witness. Notice their witness. Verse 33, they're talking about the resurrection. Now, it's interesting that they're talking about the resurrection now, but earlier in the chapter, they're talking about the name of Jesus. Later on in chapter 5, they'll be talking about Jesus again. So why are they focusing on the resurrection? And I would like to propose to you, the reason is because it's a felt need among the populace where they are. Think about it. 500 people, the Bible tells us, had experienced and seen the resurrected Jesus. The beginning of this chapter tells us that 10 times that, 5,000 people are now followers. They don't know about if Jesus, the resurrected, if they saw him. They've heard things. They know some things, but they haven't talked with the witnesses, haven't understood, maybe haven't believed. And so the apostles are talking boldly about the resurrection. You know, maybe a better way to do this is to look at this next slide from um, earlier on. A man named Cleopas was walking on that Sunday after Christ was crucified, and he was walking with a friend to the city of Emmaus. Now, this is happening three days after the crucifixion. Our story with the apostles can be anywhere from four months to 12 months after. Okay, so we have a little bit of time difference to be aware of. But I think what Cleopas says here is the same as we would understand maybe in this time frame. Look what he says. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. 
One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only guy visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you kidding? Jesus asked, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, he replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's now the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions ran to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. You see the problem, the populace, the local folks were like, Man, I don't know. I don't know about somebody standing up out of the box that was dead, and now he's alive. I've heard some stuff. I don't know. And mixed into that, you then have the religious authorities saying, stop talking about this guy being resurrected. And you have other religious authorities like the Sadducees saying, are you crazy? We don't even believe in the resurrection. You can't resurrect what's dead. Everybody knows that. So in the midst of this ridicule, in the midst of these questions, the apostles respond with great boldness. Can you imagine what that conversation would be like? A man approaches Peter and he says, Peter, come on, the resurrection is a little tough for me. Why would the chosen one of Israel have to be horribly murdered and then resurrected. And Peter says, because if he didn't live the perfect life and didn't die for our sins and then be brought to life, he couldn't make the perfect payment to pay for sin and death and to vanquish them forever. Okay, Jesus, well, that that's, I understand that, okay, it's a payment for our sins, but dead man, alive. And Peter says, you see this finger? This finger touched the nail holes. I put this finger in his side where he was stabbed with a spear. I saw it. I saw him. He's alive. I'm telling you the truth. So people witnessing, talking about meeting the felt need. Now, I want to encourage us because they spoke with boldness. And I think the temptation for us in our day and age means boldness, means come with the hammer. (laughs) You know, I don't know how you even eat with that dirty mouth the way you speak. Right? I don't know. You guys, you're so bad. And we want to make crosstalk with people, but it winds up being crosstalk. 
And what I want to say to you is that if, if we're plugged into the Holy Spirit, there's something called the fruit of the Spirit that comes through us. And one of the key elements of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and kindness. The place where I work, the, the men expect criticism, harsh criticism, harsh joking, put-downs, ridicule. And so I can do that, I mean, but I wouldn't be plugged in if I was acting that way. But when I come with gentleness and kindness, it disarms people. It, it doesn't seem natural. It doesn't seem normal. It seems more like maybe you're empowered by something that you would speak this way. And what a treasure to have the biggest welder come up and put his armor on me and say, thanks for praying for my girlfriend. Oh, man, you're in my space. You're too close. Or to have him say, I didn't have a dad. I raised myself. What felt need do you hear in that statement? If, if, if The felt need I heard was, if God exists, why did my dad leave me? Why did my dad abandon me? And if God exists, will he abandon me too like my earthly father did? I mean, earthly father, heavenly father? I mean, come on. No. No, he'll never abandon you. In fact, what you did in the past... What you do today, what you do in the future, nothing will separate you from the great love that he has for you. We witness to the felt need, and we do it boldly, means just speaking up, not giving people the hammer. Because we're plugged into the Holy Spirit as we witness, and his fruit comes through us. Plugged in through prayer. Plugged in through witness to felt needs. Last thing is plugged in because of the way that we love each other. The last side, Steve. Um, okay, so this is just for the apostles, right? This is only for the big dogs. The guys that were with Jesus. And it's like, no. Read it. All the believers. No one claimed. End of verse 33. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Tell me who we're talking about. We're talking about us. We're talking about the minions. We're talking about us who are the servants of Jesus Christ. This is for all of us. This isn't just for Peter, James, and John and the guys. It's for all of us. And our author Luke, what he wants us to focus on is that one statement right there, no one. The way that the Greek sentence is organized, is it's doing this. The main idea, no one, no one. Because they were plugged into the Holy Spirit, no one considered their possessions to be their own. No one. Do you see how radically transformative that is? That's unbelievable. 
Remember, just before we had been looking at their prayer, their prayer was, make us bold, and they were bold. And then they, they asked, please give us signs and wonders. Could it be that the sign, the wonder that God was going to do was in the transformation of the way that we love each other? Because what's the natural? The natural, the typical is, I got to look out for me. I got my stuff. My stuff is my stuff. And what do we see happening here? It's not, what about me? I got to look out for me. It's, what about my brothers and sisters in Christ? I got to look out for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Two weeks ago, I loved what Troy did is a parallel passage to this, and he had us do a sharing thing. If you had stuff to give, if you had needs, and just about every single need within our family here was met. Man, that's family. That's so awesome. Now I got to ask you, where does this transformation come from? What is it? And I think it's what Jesus asked us to do. If we could look at that slide, Steve. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you, what's it say? Must must it's not optional you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples who's everyone washington county west bend hartford people will know that we are truly jesus's disciples in the way that we treat each other could you imagine people saying i gotta know more about this kettlebrook And could you imagine if our goal was, can we go back to the previous slide, Steve? Verse 34. No needy persons among them. Now, wait, 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 wait. That's Troy's responsibility. Troy needs to figure out what people's needs are and then go find some resource to help them. Sorry, it's not what it says. It says all of us were committed to the care of each other. We treated each other like family. We talk about it every week. A family of followers of Jesus, right? So several years ago this happened where someone, I don't know whom, laid uh, a big pile of money at the feet of the elders of this church. Said, please use this to help people who are outside of Kellebrick who have a need to come to faith in Jesus. And so the elders have had the liberty, the privilege, to make use of that money to help people in need. And now I've invited the Reach, Glo- the Reach Local team to help in being sure that that money goes to people in need. But can I tell you about a need that I, I think still goes unmet within our group? within our family. I'm new and I'm still kind of hearing your stories and learning this, but what I've heard on several occasions is someone saying, I'm, I'm not getting a medical procedure done. Um, I'm not doing a f- medical treatment. Uh, I'm not getting counseling, especially uh, Christian counseling, um, because my insurance won't cover it. 
if in the church of Jesus there were not any needs among them, are we okay with this? Are we okay if members of our family are going without? Are our possessions so valuable that I, I have to still look out for me, man? Sorry for them. Or plugged in, are we so radically transformed that it's like, it's not about me, it's about them. I exist to care for my brothers and sisters, putting them first. I've got to look out for them. What a model for us. What a goal to set. Ah, that's my prayer for us, that we would be a church without any, any need, need people. And I guarantee you that the Reach Local team will go to someone and say, can we help you? And that person will say, no, I'm good. Because people won't want to acknowledge that they're needy. We'll figure that out too. But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us so much to stay plugged in. We stay plugged into the Holy Spirit through prayer. We've been called to witness. Let's stay plugged into the Holy Spirit as he leads us in boldness to be witness to the felt needs. Let's make those relationships with people so we can talk to their felt needs. And let's be people who lay down our lives and say, it's not about me. It's about my brothers and sisters. I need to look out for them. Those are transformed people. Those are plugged in people. And we're on our way. We're going to get there. And we're going to be wonderfully, beautifully transformed people in such a way that Washington County is going to say, it's unbelievable that Kellerbrook there, I understand there's no needy people among them. They love each other so well. They share so well. There's something different about them. They're a little weird. But I got to check it out. I got to see what the power is that's going on inside of them. And we get to point to the Lord Jesus and say, it's in. Let's pray together. Jesus, we have absolutely no right to be in your presence except for the precious blood that you sacrificed on our behalf. We have no right to be your servants except for the precious blood that you sacrificed on our behalf. Lord, for us to say uh, we're going to stay stuck to you through prayer, uh, through our witness, through how we love each other, Lord, we'll never make it unless you lead and guide and you help us to do it. Thank you for what you accomplished on our behalf. We're so grateful for you. Thank you that we got to today to look at what you accomplished and boast about it, how great you are. Yes, how great Thou art. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.